We can see the signs unfolding They're growing day by day Each sign reveals the same thing The time's about to come The Savior has been promised Oh, come behold his birth He's lying in a manger God's hope for all the earth The Savior is here Tell all the good news Sing out the song of joy
it is great to be with y'all today and better to be in the Lord's house. So if you would turn with me, um, our scripture reading is going to be from 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me get there and get you the page. Page 1390. 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1390. A few things that I'll share with you that we can come in alignment with the Lord for, some good friends of ours. Amanda Haynes is nine weeks pregnant, and she's in the hospital right now with some high blood pressure. And so um, Daniel and her would like our prayers for what the Lord is doing, uh, wisdom and guidance for the doctors, for the medications that they're using and how they're going to treat this, and really for a safe pregnancy. Um, also, they have had a death in their family and so plan to travel next week to this funeral, but they're asking for um, the Lord's direction for that as well. So um, we, will, we will pray and ask that the Lord would guide the doctors, would guide them, and would give direction in all of these places. Um, our friend Olga um, is not here today. Everly has an ear infection, and so we're going to pray for her and for her family. And finally, our good friend Teresa. Teresa is moving soon, and so uh, we want the Lord's direction in this situation for him to guide what the next home is. And uh, so for all these places, we're going to ask for the Lord's uh, timing and direction and peace. So read with me 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your salvation that is not for our purpose, but for yours. And it's for your purpose that we gather today, Lord, to be awakened by your spirit, to be empowered by your authority, that our eyes would be given clarity and our ears be given hearing that all the things in this world would come under your authority and that we would as well and that Lord in every one of these places in Amanda and Daniel and their their pregnancy for Olga and for Everly and for Teresa Lord and for all the places that we have not named that we have not shared Lord that we would bring them under your authority and desire that your spirit would give direction and that you would be glorified in everything we say and do. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.
felt like the Lord um, quickened me to pray for a couple of people. And uh, so Bill is traveling and Ron and Luann, well, Ron is traveling today. And um, I know that uh, Rubia and Angelica have been traveling. And so uh, if we can just pray for those people that we know are uh, Joe and Susan are traveling because I was just hearing that we could pray for those people in our group that are traveling. Does anybody else know of anybody else that's traveling right now? I'm sorry. The Haynes are about to travel. Who else do you know? Oh, I thought, so. I thought nobody else. Okay. Well, let's pray. So, Father God, we just rejoice in this place that we can come before you this morning and just open up our hearts, Father, that you would open our blind eyes and that you would open our deaf ears, that we could hear and know of what it is that you're doing. And so, Father, we just rejoice in this place where you would come and give us a word that we could join you in what you're doing in these places. So, Lord, we pray your hand would be over these that are traveling, that you would give them straight paths, Father, that you would hold them in your care, Father, that as they seek you, Father, that you would provide direction for them, that you would provide wisdom for them, and that, Father, Father, whatever lies ahead, Father, we know that you already know how that would be. And, Father, we ask that you would... Um, Guide them in the directions that they should go, Father. Father, we hear these places spiritually as well as physically, Father. And so we cry out for each one as they are traveling today. And over the next week, Father, those in our midst that are traveling and need um, your protection, Father, we need you, Lord. We need you. Lord, we thank you that you are with them, and that you allow us to join with you in what you're doing in their lives. Lord, we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning. Well, I know everybody's got a little bit of allergies going on, <clears throat> so bear with my voice a little bit this morning as, uh, as I know the Lord will strengthen it and get us through these places. Um, I'm excited about being back in Romans. We were in Romans for a couple of weeks, and then we, uh, last week, ventured off a little bit and taught on Pentecost, and so we're returning to the book of Romans today, but I want to go back and review just a little bit so that we can have our minds in the right place as we come to um, our lesson today. So first of all, Romans is on page, uh, Romans 1, we'll look at reviewing there, is on page 1293. Page 1293, and um, Romans is really a great um, theological book. If you wanted to find a book, just one book in the Bible that really helps to lay out the understanding of what a church should look like and what God is trying to um, help us to understand about his perfect plan, Romans probably offers us that in the fullness. And um, so by and large, the theme of all of the books of Romans is how God will make his people righteous. And so I want to look at a um, couple of places that we can start off in. Um, actually, it's on page 1294, verse 16. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> okay. It's, uh, Paul is writing a place right here that helps us to lay some foundational understanding of the whole book and what he's coming uh, to draw in each chapter to help us to understand. So verse 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So right here, we see that Paul is laying out, and he's saying the gospel, in it you find the power of salvation. So Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the power for salvation. And he says in that place, righteousness is revealed. And I think there's a couple of places that we want to understand about this when he says the righteousness of God is revealed. I think there are two things that he is wanting us to see. First of all, what is the righteousness of God? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the righteousness of God is God is always right. God is always right. He is always just. And his rightness and his justness is it always consistent with his purpose and his plan. So first of all, in this place where we see righteousness is revealed in the gospel, 
the first thing we want to know is the the righteousness of God and what that looks like. It's he is always right and he is always just. And it's consistent with his purpose. The next thing I think that it helps us to understand is how it's revealed. The righteousness of God is how it's revealed in the gospel for mankind. And so we see that it is also for mankind that the gospel helps us understand how God can make sinful man in right standing, righteous before him in his sight. And so the gospel is the way that God does make us righteous. And Paul spends the whole book helping us to understand the fullness of that. Then he says, from faith to faith. We talked about this a little bit. From faith to faith. He's saying, as you see here, he's saying that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I believe what he's talking about here is from the very beginning of time to the very end of time. That it, he always required faith to be in right standing with where he is. And I want to look at a couple of those places. So put your marker here. We'll come back to, to this place. Because I think it's important to see how what I'm talking about there. So if you'll turn to um, Genesis 6, to Noah. It's um, Let me see. I don't think I have you a page. Genesis 6. It's on about page 6. Yes. So this faith to faith is from the beginning of time. God is calling people to walk in righteousness, in right standings with him. <clears throat> so as you remember, uh, Noah, if you'll look down to verse 9, Noah is, uh, is going to build the ark and, and God is going to flood the ark. And it says in verse 8 even that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. This word just and this word perfect, both of these words help us to understand this same word of righteousness. So you could even say Noah was a righteous man here. He was a just man. He was blameless and he walked with God. And God had grace upon him. He found grace in God's eyes because he was a man who walked in right standing with God. You remember Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. And they were in right standing with God. And then they sinned. But God began even in that very point and time, in the very beginning, he covered them with animal skin to cover their unrighteousness. <clears throat> Turn a couple of pages over to Genesis 15. Genesis 15 is probably on about 14 or 15. Yes, page 14. Genesis 15, verse 6. 
This is talking about Abraham, and it says, and he believed in the Lord, and and God, he accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed, he trusted, he had faith in the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. His faith was uh, was what accounted uh, righteousness in this place of Abraham. Abraham was seen in the eyes of Lord as righteous. So in this place where Paul is writing back in Romans, on page 1294, back at your marker, when it comes to this place, it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, he's saying that it has to be in this place of faith from the very beginning of time to the very end of time to be able to be seen as righteous in faith in what God is doing in each life. And then it goes on to say, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we talked about that word, the just is the same word as righteous. The righteous live out their faith in this place of understanding. Then verse 18 Uh, helps us to draw into the next understanding that Paul is wanting us to understand. He's, He's laying out for us the righteousness, the holiness of God. And he's saying in order for man to be received in the eyes of God, he's got to walk in this righteousness. And this is only found in the gospel. But he goes on to say in verse 18, he says, But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, uh, I'm sorry, ungodliness and unrighteousness. So he says, But those who are not in alignment with God, those who are walking in unrighteousness, the wrath of God is upon them. And we spent some time talking about these places and are going to complete this today because Paul uses the rest of chapter 1, chapter 2, and part of chapter 3 to understand how he is dividing up all of mankind into a place of unrighteousness. So he's going to help us look at these places. In other words, Paul is saying, before you can see the good news of what Jesus did through the gospel, you have to understand where you are. And so he gives three categories, if you will, for people to look at and to be able to see, this is really truly where I am. The first one he talks about in the rest of chapter 1, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it is the ungodly, the wicked, people who are in rebellion. And it says in verse 21 that they didn't choose to glorify him. In other words, they didn't choose to honor God. They didn't choose to respect him. They didn't choose to walk in his ways. They didn't choose to be obedient to the places that he has called them. And it says also in verse 21 that nor were they thankful. They were not thankful for the things that they had seen God do and the places that God had worked in their lives. Even though God was plain for them to see, even through creation, 
you can see God. We find ourselves sometimes falling short of honoring him and glorifying him and being thankful. And in this place, it says that God gave them over, in verse 24, gave them over to the lust of their hearts. And they drew darker and darker. Then in um, verse 32, yes, verse 32, it says that for these people, for these people who are rebellious to what God wants for them to do, and they walk in their own ways, and they do their own things, and he lists a, a, a lot of different sins that fall under these places as people uh, practice and walk out these things. But in verse 32, about halfway down, it says people who practice these things. Uh, let's just read that, verse 32. He says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that God is right in judging, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. So he says they are deserving, and he's talking about eternal death, that they're not deserving of eternal life, but of deserving of eternal death because they practice in their own wicked ways. Then um, the next week we talked about the uh, starting in, ver in chapter 2, verse 1, the hypocrite. And the hypocrite is one that would judge another and yet practicing same kinds of sins or practicing uh, sin themselves, not recognizing that they are in those places of darkness, but they're quick to judge others in their own darkness. And um, it tells us that they, in verse 4, that they don't recognize the goodness of God. It says, or do you despise the riches of God? I'm sorry, the goodness of, of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So Paul is saying that they're quick to be judgmental of other people's sins, but they're not quick to look at themselves, recognizing that they're walking in this place, and they're not able to see the goodness of God and his long-suffering in their own lives that should lead them to repentance. And then let's look at verse um, 13. And Paul writes in verse, let's start in verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not, for, for not the hearers of the law are just in their sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And Paul is talking to uh, a Jewish understanding here of people, and he's saying that um, you've, many people have sinned without the law will perish, but also those that are, have sinned with the law will be judged by the law. And that you can't just be hearers of the law, but you have to be doers of the law to be justified. Now, he is not saying that you are justified 
through all your works of the laws, but he is saying that in the place where God has justified you through the blood of Jesus, then out of that will come works that, that uh, proclaim your justification, that your right standing with God. <clears throat> Today, I want to start in verse 17. And so we've seen three, uh, two of the three groups. Paul is going to set us up with one more group today. So we've seen those that are rebellious and ungodly, and we've seen those that are hypocrites and judgmental. And today I would entitle this one um, The Religious Spirit and the Self-Righteous People. So Paul is helping us to understand that all mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, of the righteousness of being in right standing with God. All men have fallen short. And he's saying, which category do you fall into? And he's giving us three categories here. So starting in verse 17, it says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God. And know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in, in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Okay, so Paul is uh, talking to Jews and Gentile church, uh, people in the church at Rome. And he's saying right here, he says, Indeed, you call yourself a Jew and you rest on the law. He's saying you are confident of your relationship with Jesus because of the law. Because of what the law is, you have placed your confidence of your right standing in the law. And it's so funny, God began to show me about this yesterday because the law really can't do anything to save you. And, but he began to show me this, and uh, I thought this was so interesting. So I have a scale at home, and, um, and I weigh on it almost every day, but I won't weigh on it today. <laughs> I thought we might ask for volunteers, but I thought, no, not today. And, uh, but the scale does not tell me how to fix my problem. The scale tells me there is a problem. So if I get on the scale and see what my weight is, I can go, ooh, wow, I'm not where I need to be. The scale does nothing to help me to get to that place of actually fixing the problem, but it is a roadmap. It is a guideline to help me to get in alignment with the weight that I need to be in to be healthy. The law is the same way. The law does not save us. The law does not cause us to be righteous. But rather, the law is a place to lead us into understanding our sinful nature. Paul talks about it in other places as the law is a marrow. And, he's, and you can look in the marrow in the law and you can see who you are. 
the law never saved you. But he's saying right here, he's saying, but you're boasting in that. You're resting on that. You're acting as if this has made you in right standing with God. And the law was never intended to do that. And he says, you know the will and approve the things that are excellence being instructed out of the law. You know the good things that you should be doing. And you are confident in yourself and a guide to, that you are a guide to the blind and that to those that are in darkness and an instructor of the foolish. He's saying you feel like you have all the answers. And you even set yourself up and saying, I'm helping all these people in the darkness. But you're not in right standing with God. You have a religious spirit. You are trusting in the things that are, um, how would you say this? Let me think how you say that. The things that you are a part of rather than the things that you are. I think Christians right here should take a great note in this place. As Paul is writing to the Jews, I think we as well need to see this place that we cannot be a Christian and rest on the fact that we go to church or the fact that we teach Bible school or the fact that we read the Bible. We can't come and be boastful in these places and saying, I've done all of these things, Lord, look at me. I've gone to church all my life. I've done all the right things. I've sang the songs. I know the stories in the Bible. And yet, my life is not reflecting a new creation surrendered to you. And he's saying these places to the Jewish people, but I think today we have to take note of these things that oftentimes we come and we say, haven't I been an instructor to, of the foolish and a teacher of babes? Haven't I taught in the Sunday school classes? Haven't I taught or preached up here? He goes on to say that. He says, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. He says, you act like you have lots of knowledge. You therefore who teach another... Do you not teach yourself, you who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? So he's really causing these people to stop and think, and I think he's calling us to stop and think about where we are as well. That as we come in these places, that when we're trying to teach someone else, when we're trying to preach a message to someone else, that we have to first look at our hearts and see if we're resting in what we're a part of rather than in what we're doing. And he starts off and he says, do you, you know, you teach a man you do, should not steal, and yet do you steal? And I was thinking about these places. The next one he says, and you who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And you who abhorred idols, do you rob the temples? And I thought, yes, Paul, I see that you're talking far beyond these understandings that, yes, maybe you're not stealing from the store today, but I wonder if he's calling us to look at some better understandings, some spiritual understandings of ways that we might be stealing from God. So leave your marker here, and I want to look at a couple of these places. 
the first one I want to look at is one very familiar. It's on page 1106. It's 6. It's Malachi 3 8. So Paul is saying, you teach people to not steal, but do you steal? This is probably not a place in the last few days that we've gotten up and questioned ourselves about stealing. You probably haven't stolen something in the last little bit, and you probably aren't thinking about this. But I think when Paul was uh, talking to these people, he was trying to enlarge their understanding. And I think he might have thought about this place in Malachi. So Malachi verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. God is responding. He's, he's saying, you're saying, how have we robbed you? And he's saying, I'll tell you how you've robbed me. You've robbed me in your tithes and your offerings. You've been closed-fisted with your money, and you haven't been quick to pour out as much as you could on, on whatever God is doing with his money and his tithes and offerings. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you these windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings, that there will not be room enough to receive it. He's saying, if you don't hold tight these tithes and offerings, he says, I will pour out a blessing on you. And uh, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians. People say a lot of times that we don't find these places in um, tithes and offerings in the New Testament. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. It's on page 1325. God calls us to be good stewards of his money. He entrusts us with his money. It's funny, a lot of times when um, I hear people talking about tithes and offerings, they say, well, the first 10% of your money belongs to the Lord. And I understand where they get that. I do see that in the Old Testament. But I see that as God brought Jesus and the Holy Spirit into our lives, Jesus taught us that he enlarged the understandings of the law. And I think he may have done that easily with our tithes and offering. He enlarged what we are able to give. In fact, the first 10% is not God's. All of our money is God. All of our money is his. And he allows us to use some. But sometimes he may call us to give even more than our 10%. He may call us to give beyond those places. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, starting in chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Now concerning the collections for the saints, I have given orders to the church of Galatia, 
So you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. And when I come, whoever, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I also, they will go with me. And so Paul is going on to Jerusalem, and he's allowing these, this church to pull together some money. And he's saying, come together on the first of the, the week, the first day of the week, and I, a lot of people say that's why we meet on Sunday. It doesn't say that. But what I think the saints are doing is he's saying the very first of the week, when you see what you're going to have expenses for out of your money all week, you need to first plan to bring the Lord's money to his storehouse and to provide for the things that God is doing. So I think we rob um, and we steal by our tithes and offering. I think another place that we steal from God when we're back in Romans, let's turn back there, is to steal time. We steal our time from the Lord. And um, I think we often give God some time, but do we truly give him all of the time that he desires for us to spend with him? Or do we steal back some of the time that he desires for us to come and to be a part? Um, dishonoring his name. We can, I believe, steal from God's glory by dishonoring his name in the way we live, the way we speak, the things we do. But I think the most important place that God wanted to awaken me to this place of stealing from God is in the place of our hearts and our soul and our strength. And I think the Lord said so clearly, you'll find this in Deuteronomy 6, so page 209. We are so familiar with this place as we come and meet on um, the Sabbath and recite this, these very words. Starting in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words I shall command you today shall be in your heart. And I believe the Lord said, this is how you steal from me. This is how you rob from me. When you don't love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It was so important that Jesus uh, spoke these words as well. Matthew 22. On page 1139. Uh, 1140. Page 1140. And the Pharisees were coming and questioning Jesus and saying, which is the greatest of the commandments in the law? And Jesus said to them in verse 37, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So 
as we look at this place where Paul is talking to these with religious spirits, these who have placed their confidence in all the things that they do and all the things they're a part of, and um, they have failed to see what their lives actually reflect. And so Paul is awakening them, and he says, you teach people to not steal. But I want to question you. I want you to think about this, and I think we're called to question it today. Do you steal from God? Do you steal from these places of God? And then he goes on to say, and do you say, do not commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? And Jesus enlarged our understanding of adultery, and he said, even if you look at a woman and lust after her, you have broken the law. And so Jesus helped them to understand even beyond that, are you... Are you doing these things? But I think he also is helping us again to look into the spiritual understanding of adultery. And he's saying, are there times when you chase after the things of this world and you're in a spiritual adultery with the Lord? So you teach people, these are the laws, these are the things, thou shall not do this, thou shall not do that. But are you doing the things in the spiritual world that can bring uh, disgrace and dishonor to the Lord? The next place he talks about, he says, do you abhor idols and do you rob temples? I, I did a little checking on this. Certainly, we would teach people that you can't have idols. And... And I didn't quite understand what he was talking about when he said, do you rob temples? Because this is plural. This is not actually, I think, talking. I don't think this is talking about God's temple. But I did a little praying and asking the Lord to help me understand that. And I believe the Lord helped me to understand that this is a place where um, they would oftentimes go in and... um, steal away the things that had been given to idols, the things that were associated with idols. And I think that Paul is saying in this very place, he says, you, you say you abhorred idols, but then you steal these things that were associated with the idols. And I was thinking about this place of how we um, are drawn to the things of this world and how we find coveting um, the things of this world. That's where our heart can oftentimes lie. And I think that is exactly where Paul was talking about to them. You covet the things that are associated with idols and you steal from their temples. And I could see this place so clearly as we steal from the darkness and the temples of this world as we covet the things this world offers rather than the things that the Lord offers. Verse 23 says, and do, I'm sorry, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? 
And he's saying, you know, you're boasting that you keep the law, and yet you're dishonoring God in these very ways. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. This is such a challenging place to me because I see that we can do the same thing. We can cause unbelievers to be totally... um, pushed away from the very things of God, pushed away from the heart of God as we come and truly blaspheme his name by living the way we live, by not loving the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength, that when they see us and we are self-righteous and we walk in a religious spirit, And we look holier than thou, and yet we do not live in the ways that the Lord has called us, how these places can hinder and blaspheme the very name of God, not honoring him. Verse 25 says, for the circumcised, I'm sorry, for the circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcised. And so he is saying, yes, it is good for you to have these physical places that are profitable as you keep God's laws. But if you break one of the law, then your circumcision is is as if you are uncircumcised. And I was thinking so clearly about this place of circumcision because circumcision was a sign of the covenant. So when men were in covenant with the Lord as Jewish young boys, they were circumcised at that point to show that they would be devoted to God. They would be in alignment with him. They would walk in his ways. They would do his uh, laws, they would, pro- they would keep his. It was almost as a badge of honor that they would come in this place. But he's saying, but if you break the laws, then what good is your circumcision? You have this fleshly place of showing that you're supposed to be in covenant, but you're truly breaking God's laws in these ways, you're not living righteously, and therefore, what good is it? it? You become uncircumcised. Verse 26 says, Therefore, if any uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? He's saying if someone is, is actually trying to be in right standings with God, would it not be counted good towards him? And and verse 27 says, And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and your circumcision are a transgressor, transgressor of the law? He's saying he has every right to come and to judge you because he is trying to walk in right ways even though he's not even in covenant with God's laws. For if he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew 
who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul is calling us right here to, um, to understand that to be in uh, God's chosen people, I believe that's the way we should see this today, is the Jewish people were God's chosen people, and they were chosen to walk out God's ways. The same is true with the church today. We are called to be grafted in to the Jewish people and grafted in, and he's going to talk about this more in the next few weeks of grafting in. But I think we can begin to see that he's saying that one who is truly circumcised is not one that is circumcised in the flesh, but in the heart and in the spirit, not in just the letter of the law, but in the heart. And this only comes when you have received the, the covenant sign, just as the sign of circumcision for the Jews, the sign of, circum, of a covenant for a Christian is the Holy Spirit. And so I don't believe it's possible for us to truly be in right standing with the Lord unless we have come into that place of being born again through the blood of Jesus, through the gospel, through his death and burial and resurrection that leads us into a place to receive his Holy Spirit. And in this place, we can walk into the place that Paul is talking about, and that is being circumcised in the heart and in the spirit. So I pray that today that we would look at some of these places of not stealing from God, not as a place of going out and stealing something material, but something spiritual today, something of, of committing adultery, not something that would be just the letter of the law, even though that is true, but something beyond that, something that would challenge our hearts and cause us to, um, to look at our lives and begin to see, do we belong in any of these categories? Because Paul is trying to say all people, and next week he'll help us to understand that, all of us fall into these categories. We have to come and recognize where we are in order that we might see that we need a Savior to be out of these places. Stand with me, please.
Revive us now. 